Well, Paul's words in Romans 14 have prompted me to share with you a story about the first and only time that I have ever judged a vegetarian. And notice that I said first and only time that I have ever placed judgment on a friend who had chosen a meatless life. And, and I, I, I say that to you, I want to point that out, because I've had many friends that have chosen to go meatless for various reasons, and I have had wonderful, challenging, respectful conversations with them about that. I have felt convicted about that. We've had wonderful conversations about that. In fact, I have one friend who is an environmentalist. In fact, he's an environmental theologian. And he explained to me that the reason why he is a vegetarian is because of the way sometimes animals are kept and it disturbs the soil in a way that contributes to erosion. And because of that, because of environmental reasons, he has chosen to be a vegetarian. And I found that quite fascinating, as you may as well. Not fascinating enough to give up my steak fajitas, but fascinating nonetheless. I had another friend, and I remember having this conversation in a college cafeteria, who was not only vegetarian, but vegan, and he was a pre-med student, and he was explaining to me that the reason that he had made these food choices was because of data and research that he had been reading related to cholesterol and heart health and those kinds of things, and I had thought it had to do with his love for animals, but it had nothing to do with that, and I found this compelling and interesting as well. Not compelling enough to put down my chicken quesadillas or to stop picking them up each and every week, but compelling nonetheless. And of course, I've had other friends who have big hearts and they've decided for various reasons related to their love for animals and those kinds of things. And these friends have challenged me um, even enough to lead my thinking in that kind of direction at times, but I guess in the words of Paul, when it comes to meat, I am weak. But I still respect their decision, with one exception. Several years ago, you know, Christy and I were serving as ministers and missionaries in Paris, France. And when we served in Paris, um, a lot of times churches or individuals or groups would come to serve with us or to, to check out the area. They needed a place to stay or something like that. And I had a friend at a church in the States, and he had a couple of guys in his church that wanted to come to Paris and spend time there getting the lay of the land. And, and so they did. And one of the guys, a couple of months before this, had um, cha felt challenged and decided to become a vegetarian. Fantastic. Great. Um, also, this particular guy was pretty finicky. He was pretty, kind of a picky eater, and I got that too because I was kind of a picky eater uh, when I was growing up, and, and so uh, no problem there either. But those two things kind of, when, when you don't bend or on anything, they kind of come together in interesting ways. And the interesting way this had come together was that this particular guy had been living primarily, uh, almost entirely, for the last couple of months on bean and cheese burritos from Taco Bell. And he really didn't have any great deep conviction about why he was doing what he was doing. It was just a, a personal challenge that he'd, he'd given himself. And so now here he, he, was in, he, he was in Paris with us. And you may know that um, Parisians are known for their attitude, but also 
they're known for their culinary skills. And there's some pretty good food that you can eat in Paris. And I was thinking that, my goodness, if there was ever a time to break the bean and cheese burrito vow, um, and I don't just mean for meat, it doesn't have to be for meat, but there are other things too besides, hey Jason, where's the, the nearest American fast food franchise? And I'm not exaggerating. That's what my time with them was like. I was hoping they would venture out or, or, or break the vow, but it was not to be. And I really struggled with this. It was an impasse. A difference of perspective that I just didn't get. And had trouble responding to and receiving with compassion and understanding and grace at a personal level. Also, sometimes exaggeration is a good way to make a point. And a point in this instance that is related to something that we see was alive and well here in the church in Rome. Paul says in this passage, accept the one whose faith is weak. And by the way, I should just go ahead and say that Paul probably didn't come up with these weak and strong designations, but he's probably using this tongue-in-cheek. Um, this is probably what the people in the church who were in conflict were using. They were calling some groups strong and other groups weak, and no doubt he was hearing from the group that called themselves strong, and that's why they were strong and the others were weak. But Paul says, accept the one whose faith is weak, without passing judgment on disputable matters. Now, the bean and cheese burrito thing in Paris didn't seem like it should be a disputable matter to me, but whatever. Paul says, accept the one whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat everything. For me, that is especially true in really good Tex-Mex restaurants. My faith is really strong in those places. Paul says, accept the one whose faith allows them to eat everything. If your faith allows you to eat everything, you should not look down on those whose faith doesn't or on whose faith calls them to operate in more restrictive ways. If they have a more restrictive approach to life and faith, you should accept them. And Paul also says that the one who does not eat everything or who approaches things more restrictively, should not condemn the one who does, for God has accepted both of them. Both are accepted by God. And man, this is really difficult for us to get sometimes, right? That God accepts and loves all of us, us and them. It's true. Who are you to judge someone else's servant, Paul says? To their own master they must stand or fall. One person might consider one day more sacred than another. Another person considers each day alike. And now we're getting deeper into what's going on in Rome. Everyone, though, he says, should be fully convinced in their mind. And I'm even a little bit hesitant to read that one today because we all seem to get that one pretty well. We all seem to be pretty good about being pretty convinced that our opinions are right. Right? Though I, to be fair, don't think Paul is exactly talking about people who are convinced of their own opinions in dogmatic ways, but this is more about living in the light you have before God. You understand things about what God wants you to do at this point in your life and how God wants you to live and be, and you should, you should follow that understanding with integrity and grace and conviction. But whatever you do, Paul says, do it as if unto the Lord. 
For none of us lives to ourself alone, or at least we shouldn't. None of us dies to ourself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die unto the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that He might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. And now we're getting to the heart of the matter. Now we see for sure that this little diatribe that Paul is giving is about more than what we eat or what we drink, what we wear, what we don't wear, or even how or when we worship. These simply happen to be the minor issues these particular people had been majoring on. There's some ways that things ought to be done, people were saying in this church. In fact, there are some ways that things have always been done. Things that we're supposed to eat, things we're not supposed to to eat. A major issue in this church, by the way, that had nothing to do with environmentalism or cholesterol or their love for animals, but everything to do with holiness and their understanding of the Levitical code and what it meant to live rightly before God in Jesus Christ. There were holy days And you were supposed to do certain things on on those days and in in certain ways. And this was all tied up in your relationship and standing before God. And all of this understanding, by the way, came to them from the Bible. The Bible had said this, and so they had followed this guidance for centuries in a way that had created well-worn grooves in their faith. Well-worn grooves. But then there was this event. This, and I know you're tired of this word, unprecedented event. This massive, unprecedented, world-shifting, faith-altering event. It was the Jesus event. And then the Pentecost event. And this massive, world-shaking, life-altering, faith-shifting event didn't quite fit into the old grooves. In fact, it was creating some new grooves that didn't quite match up with the old grooves. And it was, it was a little bit uncomfortable in some churches. And we've experienced things like this too, right? Not just now, but at other times in our lives. Reminds me of a couple of stories from our time living in Thailand. You know, we also spent some time living and serving as missionaries in Thailand. And, and the thing that happened, happened after we'd lived in Thailand long enough for some of their cultural customs to become part of the new grooves of our life. I'd gotten word that my grandfather had died. I didn't expect to be there for the funeral. But my, my family graciously made a way for that to be so. And so I, I got on a plane, and I, it actually involved a lot more than that, and after a, a couple of days, made it there, and as soon as I arrived, or not long after, I experienced two culture-clashing moments that I will never forget. One of them happened when I got to my in-law's house. I went to visit them, and I hadn't seen them in quite some time. As you might imagine, as many of us have been a long stretch of time without seeing family and in-laws. And so I made my way to their house. And by the time I got to their house, it was pouring down rain. It was a torrential Texas downpour. And I mean, it was, it was, there's no way not to get soaking and sopping wet. 
And I, I got out of the car, I remember, and they knew that I was there, and I, I went up to the front door, and I knocked on the door, and I was just drenched, and my stuff was getting drenched, and they opened the door, and they, they smiled, and they opened their arms, and they were ready to, re- to receive me. But instead of running right in, I started taking my shoes off. And they just stood there and stared at me. And I did that because, of course, I'd spent months instinctively learning to take my shoes off before I entered anyone's house at any time out of respect. I'd adapted instinctively to this, and my in-laws just stood there and stared, laughing. The other thing happened the day after I arrived, not not long after my grandfather's funeral, I I went back to my aunt and uncle's house to catch up with them, and it was lunchtime, and, and my aunt and uncle had made steaks the night before, so my aunt got out the steaks, and she warmed some up, and she put them on the table, and we began talking and catching up. We hadn't seen each other in quite some time, but then all of a sudden, in, in kind of an assertive and assaulting way, she stopped me with her loud, booming Texas voice, and she said, Jason, what are you doing? I didn't know what she was talking about until I looked down and noticed that I was cutting my steak with a spoon. (laughs) Because for months, I had eaten every plate of food except for noodles with spoons, because that's what they do in Thailand, not chopsticks, but spoons. My old grooves had been disrupted, and new grooves had formed. And I imagine we have and probably are experiencing things like this as well. We've been in the midst of this pandemic much longer than I had spent in Thailand before I went back to see my parents. Which is to say that our experience of it has already created some new grooves in many of us and in the way we do life. And some of those new grooves are things that we share. There may be, may be things that we share across this room and across households. They're the, they're the same, and some of those are different. We've developed our own ways and and patterns and of course this needed to happen this needed to happen things needed to shift and change for good reasons churches and schools and hospitals and all kinds of workplaces had to find new ways to adapt and change new grooves for good reasons but also what brought that about has also created not only new grooves in us but new grief grief and anxiety and stress over things that we've lost and longed for. And in the midst of that grief that many of us are carrying, there's also been normal stress and and normal grief, and there have been election cycles and social upheaval and all kinds of things, and it's no surprise that in the midst of all of this, we have experienced a full gamut of emotions within ourselves, and one another. There's been beauty, and joy, and love, and compassion, and service, and kindness, and generosity, and justice work, and we could go on and on and on about all of the good and beautiful things we have seen in one another. And we've also struggled. We've disagreed. We've butted heads with people that we love. We've 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 misunderstood one another. We've misjudged one another. We've mischaracterized one another. We found ourselves thinking or, or saying or responding at times like my aunt did to me. What are you doing? 
but with much less inherent humor. And, th- and this kind of thing is not new. It was going on, in fact, even in the earliest days of the church. We see it here. Fresh from the fires of Pentecost and with the Spirit of the living God blazing through their relationships, prompting them, as we've heard a time and again in Acts, to hold all things in common. They still didn't hold some things in common. Like here, what we should eat or what we should wear or how and when we should worship or even sometimes who we should worship with or shouldn't. And it was that kind of thing that really got up in Paul's crawl. Because he felt like it was a threat to the very, the very heart of the gospel. Of inclusivity and love and grace and forgiveness. And what Paul is trying to help them and us understand here is that these issues that are dividing them are actually quite minor in the shadow of the issue that should be defining them. He was trying to help them understand that they had been minoring on major things and majoring on minor things in a way that was causing them to be in danger of majorly missing the point in their life together. And so Paul was trying to remedy this by reminding them of who they were and whose they were. If you live, Paul says, live to the Lord. And if you die, Paul says, die to the Lord. For for whatever we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Remember that whatever we live or die, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Or to put it another way, we are God's. Not we are G-O-D-S, which is the way we so often live our lives. We're in control and we're right and we govern ourselves and it's all about us. But in the way that you'll find it printed in your worship guide, we are G-O-D apostrophe S. Whether we live or die, we are God's. We belong to the God. In the midst of all that's going on in our life, no matter what's happening, no matter what we're going through, we belong to God. We are God's. In spite of everything we might encounter that would cause us to shift to the left or right on that, we are God's people, redeemed by God's love, called by and for God's purposes, living in God's world. You know, later in the service, we're going to have a family dedication, which we're really excited about. And in the midst of that dedication, I'll ask a question of you and of the family that goes something like this. Are you committed to helping this child learn that she is God's child first and last? And you'll hopefully answer, we will. But beyond this moment, do you know what one of the best ways you can, one of the the best things that you can commit to to help these children know that they are God's child first and last? Beyond saying it? We could live like it. Like we belong first and foremost to God. And so as we gather together in this space again in the weeks ahead, that's what we're going to be thinking about. That's what we're going to reflect on. What does it mean for us to live as God's people in God's world? And when Jesus talked about this, and so you'll hear this again and again and again, he always did in the context of talking about the kingdom of God, which he talked about more than anything else. 
And so we're going we're gonna to think about what it means for us to live as God's people in God's world, as part of God's kingdom. And it, this came to mind for us in part because many of the characteristics of the kingdom reflect some of the realities that we're going through right now as a people. For instance, the kingdom of God is often talked about as an already but not yet kingdom. There are things that are already true and there are things that we are waiting for. And that's so true of how we're living in this world right now. The kingdom of God is often talked about as an upside down kingdom and as a people who have lived for so long in a world where we felt like things have been flipped upside down for us. That should be pretty easy for us to relate to. Jesus talked about the whims and the ways of the kingdom, and he talked about how we follow the whims of way and ways of God in the kingdom is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. In any and every circumstance, and we've returned to that touch point again and again and again over the past 15 or 16 months. And Jesus didn't just call us to live like we were citizens of the kingdom and teach us how to live as citizens of the kingdom, but he empowered us by the Spirit of the living God to live as God's people in God's world. And we're going to talk about that too. All of this, hopefully, to point us to the higher way of love so that we might consider individually and collectively what it means for us to live as God's people in God's world, as a part of God's kingdom, so that among us and within us and through us, God's kingdom might come and God's will might be done ever and always on earth as it is in heaven.